It's Wednesday the 15th of April and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Trump stiffs the WHO and coronavirus cases near 2 million. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump said America will stop funding the World Health Organization while it conducts a review of the UN agency. Mr. Trump accused the WHO of failing in its response to COVID-19 and spreading Chinese disinformation about its origin, despite his having judged the outbreak a very small problem on January 30th, when the WHO declared it a global emergency, and praising China's efforts to contain the virus. America is the largest single donor to the organization. The global number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 neared the 2 million mark, as the number of deaths surpassed 125,000. Although some governments, France and India, have extended lockdown, others, which reckon they have passed the peak of the pandemic, are reopening their economies. Certain businesses in Austria and Italy reopened, and some people in Spain are already back at work. The world economy will shrink by 3% this year as a result of COVID-19, according to a forecast by the International Monetary Fund. Such a decline would be deeper than that of 2009. The fund reckons that countries accounting for about 70% of global GDP in purchasing power parity terms will fall into recession. Advanced economies are set to shrink by more than poor countries. China's exports in March fell by 6.6% compared with a year earlier, much less than the 14% decline analysts had predicted. Meanwhile, imports fell by 0.9%. The expected decline had been 95 These signs that the economy may have started to recover from the pandemic cheered stock markets. China's CSI 300 index closed up by 1.9%. Wall Street and European markets also saw gains on Tuesday. America's largest bank by assets, JP Morgan Chase, reported a first quarter profit of $2.9 billion, down by 69% from last year. While Wells Fargo, its fourth largest, reported that its first quarter profit shrank by almost 90% over the same period. Both banks increased their loan loss provisions in response to COVID-19. The Trump administration agreed to a $25 billion bailout package with America's virus-hobbled airlines. Ten carriers, including American, Delta, Southwest and United, will get access to the funds. A deal was delayed while the two sides argued about whether the money should be dispersed as loans or grants. It will come as a mixture. Germany's Christian Democrats, the party of the Chancellor Angela Merkel, may not get a new leader until December. The convention to replace Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, who stood down as leader in February, was due to take place this month, but will be delayed by the pandemic. Her replacement will be well-placed to run for the chancellorship next year. And editor's note. The Economist is making some of its most important coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic freely available to readers of The Economist today, our daily newsletter. For details, visit our hub at www.economist.com forward slash coronavirus. And now, here's today's agenda. End of the beginning. COVID-19 in Germany. President Emmanuel Macron has extended France's lockdown until mid-May. Britain does not appear minded to start easing its confinement rules. But today, Germany, which has had some success curbing COVID-19 infections, will start mulling an exit strategy. Unlike Mr Macron, Angela Merkel, the Chancellor, cannot decide alone. This afternoon, she will consult the premiers of Germany's 16 federal states on what to do once the current restrictions expire on April 19th. Not all are of one mind, but the signs are that Germany will tentatively begin to lift some limitations. A report issued earlier this week by 26 legal, healthcare and economic experts offers a blueprint. 
The Leopoldina Working Group proposed the resumption of classes for younger children, obligatory face masks on public transport, and, if infection rates remain low, the slow reopening of shops and restaurants. It also called for more testing and the use of mobile phone data to track the spread of the disease. To forgive or forbear, the G20 and poor countries' debts. With weak currencies, high borrowing costs and low export revenues, many poor countries will struggle to pay for imports and service their dollar debts as the pandemic rages. To help them, the International Monetary Fund and others are busy mobilising fresh loans. But the most obvious way to give poor countries more hard currency to work with is to stop collecting it from them. The fund has said it will forgive the next six months of debt payments from 25 poor borrowers. Finance ministers from the G20 group of big economies will today consider whether to show similar flexibility on their government's loans to as many as 76 countries. Unlike the IMF, they may choose forbearance over forgiveness, requiring countries to pay when they are ready. Still, any such agreement will represent a welcome act of coordinated magnanimity. Ministers should get credit where it's due, if they refrain from collecting debt when it's due. Votes and the virus South Korea's election South Koreans go to the polls today to elect their parliament. Unlike many others, the government has chosen to press ahead with the election despite COVID-19. Elaborate safeguards have been devised. Voters' temperatures will be taken and all will don gloves and face masks before entering the booths. The feverish must use separate booths. The election is widely seen as a midterm verdict on the administration of President Moon Jae-in. Although it may not achieve a majority, Mr Moon's Minju, Democratic Party, will probably benefit from the country's competent handling of the virus. The president's approval ratings have ticked up recently. If Minju wins a majority, Mr Moon may revive efforts to rein in the country's conglomerates and push for reapproachment with North Korea, which just conducted its fifth series of missile tests this year. Whatever the results, the first priority will be to deal with the economic fallout from the virus. Swaps for guns. Turkey and the S-400. Turkey's president Recep Tayyip Erdogan has long insisted that at some point this month his army would deploy the S-400 missile defence system it bought from Russia last year. America, which feared that the S-400's radar could be used by Russia to spy on warplanes it sells to Turkey, had already threatened to slap sanctions on Turkey as soon as it activated the system. Now, amid the crisis brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, the activation is even more fraught with risk. The IMF expects the country's GDP to contract by 5% this year. Foreigners have taken about $7 billion out of Turkish stocks and bonds since the start of the year, and the lira is sliding. Turkey's foreign reserves are almost drained, and its central bank has sought to secure currency swap agreements with partners in the G20, including America's Federal Reserve. A deployment of the Russian defence system risks dooming Turkey's chances and its economy. The missiles may have to be shelved. Managing Care United Health Group Investors will be keen to hear from America's largest health insurer when it reports first quarter earnings today. So far, they have been ambivalent about COVID-19's impact on the business. United Health's shares have roughly followed the volatility in the rest of the market. They fell by 36% from an all-time high between February 19th and March 23rd, but has since rebounded by 39% from that trough. The pandemic is having a mixed effect on profitability. The company is paying all costs related to COVID treatment, but then again is able to delay paying out for many elective procedures postponed because of the crisis. Some customers who recently lost their jobs and employer-linked coverage will leave. 
Others, however, may join by purchasing plans through Obamacare's exchanges. Last week, at least, investors had one piece of heartening news, the end of the presidential campaign of Bernie Sanders, who had promised, in effect, to nationalise America's health insurance industry. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Corrie ten Boom, who was born on this day in 1892 and died on this day in 1983. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of its strength. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.